0: Welcome to the Not All Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and this is episode number 375. Today's episode is brought to you by Heartflow. As part of our science and technology interview series, today's show is an excellent behind the scenes look into the use of a new heart disease diagnostic test using precise 3D images. And at the same time, it reduces healthcare system costs. Today, we're speaking with HeartFlow co-founder and chief technology officer, Charlie Taylor. HeartFlow's Charlie Taylor is that rare combination of business person and academician. While getting his PhD in mechanical engineering at Stanford University, Charlie Taylor spotted an opportunity to combine computer simulation methods with medical imaging data for patient-specific modeling of blood flow to aid in the diagnosis and treatment of cardiovascular disease. We've talked about coronary artery disease previously, it being the most common type of heart disease. It is the leading cause of death in the US in both men and women. About 735,000 Americans have a heart attack and over 610,000 people die of heart disease in the US, according to the Center for Disease Control. Charlie Taylor answers our questions about coronary artery disease, about potential cost savings to the healthcare system, the future of heart flow, and the next healthcare frontier – web, tablets, apps, etc. – that emphasize precise visuals, 3D modeling, and the sheer power to improve patient care will be joined by Charlie Taylor in just a moment, but I want to emphasize the importance of how the HeartFlow technology transforms the way cardiovascular disease is diagnosed and treated. Further, we've been given an excellent brochure from HeartFlow emphasizing the HeartFlow analysis to better educate you all about the questions, details, and concerns you may have. With respect to coronary artery disease, links to the downloadable brochure will be in today's show notes, or you can email me at info at notold-better.com, and I'll make sure you get one. But please, if you're at risk, unsure of your risk, or want to know for a family member, take the next step in a treatment plan that has, quote, demonstrated higher diagnostic performance compared to other non-invasive cardiac tests, unquote. That's according to published data, which we'll also link to. Please now join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone, Dr. Charlie Taylor. Charlie Taylor, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. It's great to be on.
0: It's great to talk to you. I have a whole bunch of heart flow related questions. But you know, I'd like to start right at the start with you. Give us a a little bit about you, your your background, your Stanford experience because I know you have this really interesting perspective. I'd like you to touch on both the National Institutes of Health and then the National Science Foundation because I think those are yeah. those are important stories and I think my audience will really enjoy hearing that from you.
1: I actually went to Stanford to do my doctorate in mechanical engineering after uh, doing uh, degrees in mechanical engineering and also in mathematics in the East Coast. And I went out to California because it was one of the best places to study how to use computers to understand physical systems. And And um, I went to, when I was at Stanford, I was actually working on a project that was funded by the Air Force to look at using computer techniques to simulate flow over airplanes. And I just, it was, uh, just uh, I don't remember the day, but it was, I remember in the fall of... Um, of uh, a nineteen ninety three and i went to happen to go see a seminar that uh, just something caught my eye a flyer it said blood flow in your health and um, i saw the flyer and i said oh that sounds really interesting i know a bit about flow and about uh, aerodynamics and i thought it was it should be quite interesting i went to see the talk by our new chief of vascular surgery at stanford chris aarons And Chris had come from University of Chicago and had collaborated with engineers uh, building physical systems and class models to look at flow in models of arteries. I I went and saw the talk and he talked about how, you know, what an interesting area this was and how engineers could really make a contribution to understanding uh, cardiovascular disease. And I went, uh, after that, I was just, it just was a, a uh, event that changed the course of my life. I went to see him the next day and I just said, I want to do this uh, for my PhD, um, which I did at Stanford. I finished my PhD developing computer models of blood flow and, and did the first, um, uh, connection between medical image data and then simulations of blood flow, uh, at the time. And, um, Finished my doctorate and was looking around for different faculty jobs and um, got a job offer to stay at Stanford as a faculty member, but not in the engineering school at first, uh, first in the medical school. So I was hired as an assistant professor in the Department of Surgery and um, started to do research and really build, you know, some of the core technology um uh, that was you know ultimately spun out of the university many years later and into uh, into the company Heartflow
0: I love how the engineering background and expertise really has crossed paths with healthcare you also had a brush with Francis Collins from the National Institutes of Health yeah
1: yeah yeah, I was, um, when I was a faculty member at Stanford, um, you know, one of the challenges with working on something very different, of course, it was easy to explain why it was, you know, why blood flow was important, right, uh, to your health and, and why engineering principles might be useful in understanding heart disease. But, uh, it was quite frankly a little hard to get the, you know, to get this new research area, uh, funded. You know, I was really the first person to combine medical imaging and computer models for blood flow and it was, Sometimes when you do things new, it's, it's difficult to, to get uh, research funding. As a young faculty member, um, I actually first got my, my first grant from National Science Foundation. It was a really also an incredibly important uh, time in my career. Um, it was a five-year grant and you know, a few million dollars of funding, and it, it really helped me kind of set the foundations Afterwards, um, I got a grant from the National Institutes of Health as part of a big program grant at Stanford to basically develop computer modeling techniques for many different biological systems and problems. And um, afterwards, after I had left uh, the university, and we had, you know, the funding that came in into that program, I got invited to give a talk, uh, a big talk at NIH to talk about, you know, how uh, medical research funding could ultimately translate into new clinical application and in, in business. And um, I was I was there giving the talk, and Francis Collins was in the audience, and I talked about I, I think some t- the question came up about. Uh, how much funding uh, heartflow had raised in in venture capital funding and i think at the time it was a little over 100 million dollars and uh, just uh, comment that wow that was about the <laughs> the funding program for all of the grants in that in that program was about the equivalent you know for all of the different grants that were in that particular program at nih and it just struck i think him that that was a great return on investment you know that one of the projects in this would kind of spin into you know, something that now we've raised, you know, over half a billion dollars in funding. But the point is, is from a return on investment, you know, in, in, on any level, uh, I think it was a great, <laughs> great use of uh, funds, uh, medical research uh, funds, um, you know, not just obviously from an industry perspective, but really tackling, uh, you know, one of our most important problems in healthcare.
0: Your engineering experience has really influenced your work at HeartFlow. Discuss with us, the early days of your work, your your vision for this new diagnostic strategy, and, and the cost of healthcare. Because, as I understand it, you made some math calculations, and you really were able to determine a, a significant savings. And then talk a little bit about the healthcare system in general, and uh, and how difficult it is to deliver uh, patient care due to some of these almost perverse incentives
1: yeah it was, a, it was a very um interesting part of the story i was i had um I've been tenured at Stanford, and and, and I ultimately, um, after being in the Department of Surgery, helped start the Bioengineering Department at Stanford, and then had a joint appointment between Bioengineering and Surgery. And a little while after I had gotten tenure, I, I thought I'd been there for a while; it was time to take a, a little time off in a sabbatical. And I and I did a uh, what you would call a sabbatical, where I didn't actually go anywhere, but I I hung out around the uh, the area and just started to think and think about different uh, possibilities and and. Um, you know i had what i had realized is that i had I hadn't really spent a lot of time focusing on on uh, coronary blood flow and and uh, really those issues that were affecting and influencing heart attacks i had i kind of developed some of the technology to do it but hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about the the clinical problems and The more I got into it, I realized is that one of the biggest challenges that cardiologists would have is that if they had a patient and they presented with uh, symptoms of, of, um, of heart disease and they did a diagnostic test and, for example, they took a patient in a catheterization lab and they saw disease and blockages in their coronary arteries, then what was becoming really clear is that it was absolutely critical to get information about whether the disease was limiting the blood supply to the muscle of the heart. And there was a test that was doing that in a catheterization lab, but that test involved putting a wire into somebody's coronary arteries. It's a great test. The- People who developed it are, have made an enormous contribution uh, in healthcare and in cardiology, but I, it just struck me that this was a, a wire invasively inserted into somebody's arteries to measure differences in pressure, and that's what I had been focusing my research effort at Stanford on: is how do we not not um, put a wire in, but actually how do we use mathematics and understand how blood flows in our arteries to actually predict those changes in pressure so that the the idea was to take medical image data from a patient extract the best possible information about their anatomy what their coronary arteries look like and the level of disease and then actually use these you know n- computer simulations of of fluid flow not not the airflow that i had been doing before but actually a blood flow which i had focused you know more than a decade on by that time at stanford but to use that to predict changes in pressure and to develop a non-invasive alternative. Now, what was, was surprising to me is that of the patients that would that would have chest pain, that would go through a whole non-invasive strategy, and then they would end up in a catheterization lab to for evaluation, you know, this invasive procedure, that most of them didn't have either. They didn't have... Significant disease in their coronary arteries, or if they did, it wasn't wasn't limiting blood supply. And and what I what I realized in this time frame was late 2008 was that it was about 75% of patients that fell into that category that were getting an invasive test that probably could have been ruled out with a non-invasive strategy. And um, and uh, the, I did some calculations on the on the of course the clinical benefit is obvious because if you can take a patient and evaluate them non-invasively instead of sticking wires in their coronary arteries. It's a lot better. But but the cost of being in a catheterization lab is quite high. So the calculations I did, I thought, okay, this is several billions of dollars per year in the U.S. healthcare system just based upon the Medicare data and maybe was approaching 10 to $20 billion of cost savings. Um, so that was the idea, you know, h- how to do it <laughs> was kind of the what what followed after after the idea was formulated, and I, and, um, and we started to to get the company off the ground.
0: And now that the company is off the ground, we're seeing that physicians are starting to integrate the test into their practice. Yeah. And certainly patients need to be informed. We're doing this interview today to help in that regard. But how do we merge the two, physicians and patients, to make sure that both parties are, are aware and making the other uh, aware that this is a test worth pursuing?
1: Yeah, that's a a great question. I think our first, as we started to develop the technology further, you know, I think in part because of, you know my academic roots, and and um, and also the uh, the fellow I was telling you about, the vascular surgeon that I had, you know, met in, back in 1993. Chris Aarons is a co-founder of the company with me, and we, we spent many many years working mm-hmm. together uh, at Stanford. Um, and then uh, the the two of us, and together with our our, our new CEO that came into the company, uh, John Stevens, who was a, f- a former cardiac surgeon at Stanford. I think, in part, because of that, um, we really started to really emphasize um, the necessity of really having evidence and data, not just making you know statements about this would be helpful or not, but actually really supporting clinical trials. And and what I would say, from a physician perspective, one of the things I'm most proud of at HeartFlow is that um, we have now over there's over 300 peer-reviewed clinical papers, you know, published in the best medical journals about the test and it's about evidence it's about you know and, and I when I go out and talk to doctors about this I say look if we don't if we haven't convinced you of the evidence and the scientific evidence don't use it you know you you should be you know we we or tell us what more we have to do so for a very small company as we are and a startup company that came you know that you know, came about from, uh, from funding from investors, we've put a lot of money and resources into the data. So I think that's, that helps a lot in interacting and talking to physicians, it's, it's really evidence. From a patient perspective, I think we've been a little careful about trying to go directly to talk to patients until there have been enough doctors out there uh, having access to our technology. But but we've started to cross that, that threshold where it is available in many many places in the United States and now also in the in the UK parts of Europe and in, in uh, Japan, so we can start to have these conversations and and um, what I'll tell you about is that one of the I would say without question the most gratifying you know parts of this experience for me is when I when I hear the patient stories. Um, about, uh, about patients that have had and benefited from the test, or sometimes where I, I meet a patient who ha- has, has had this and they, they make a statement like, you know, you, your test has saved my life. So that's, that's really uh, sobering, to tell you the truth. It's a little surreal um, because all of that work over all of those years is really, is really translating uh, into, into helping patients, which is, at the end of the day, that's, that's what I, I really care about and that's what we care about at HeartFlow.
0: We're with Charlie Taylor, the founder, Chief Technology Officer at Heartflow. Charlie Taylor, I want to talk a little bit about patient experience yeah. and ask you if you could maybe explain a little bit about heart disease in terms of the heart flow process and particularly tell us the personal experience that you've had with this because that's very yeah. real and meaningful
1: yeah, absolutely. i think I think one of the I will tell you it's one of the most surprising things to me. you know again, i I'd spent. You know, now by the time that I, I started the company, you know, more than a decade, you know, at Stanford and medical medical school and engineering schools and teaching and doing research about the topic. But I, what it was surprising to me as I, the more I dug into the issues of coronary artery disease is that... First, first and foremost is that most patients that present with symptoms of coronary artery disease, they go in and get it checked out, and they often don't. It's not heart disease. They don't have anything to worry about, and, boy, that's reassuring when you find that out and you have that. Um, that, that was really encouraging. But the, other, the flip side of that is that there are a lot of patients out there that you know maybe they have some vague symptoms or unreported, but then they have really significant coronary disease they didn't know about, and that is life-threatening. So the challenges that we have now today, if take the case of a patient who presents with symptoms, the tests that we have available for a really identifying disease aren't very good. That's why, you know, you have a lot of patients go on to this kind of definitive diagnostic test, you know, in the catheterization lab and putting wires and injecting dyes directly into the coronary arteries, where most of them that are in there don't. Don't have significant disease, and it's because the upstream tests are just really really inadequate uh, for that um, and that's that was what was so surprising to me is that we have tests that are being used and and you know if they're if they're positive they're not reliable if they're negative they're not reliable and that was that was uh, I quite frankly I didn't really understand that um, you know how how difficult it was to really uh, uh, get a proper diagnosis of coronary disease and and how often the physicians were in this very difficult position of of trying to care for a patient and having a very imperfect knowledge of, of what was going on we because we can have limitations of blood flow to our muscle of our heart but it might not be because we have a life threatening plaque so that you asked about the the personal experience and the personal experience i had was with my with my mother-in-law and um she was pretty active i think she was in her late 60s uh, late 60s i think at the time and um and she had had a lot of, um, she was very active. I think she was probably up on her roof trying to repair the roof in her late 60s. Um, Lives out in the kind of country outside of this area. And just a really, really remarkable person and woman. But, but she had started to have some kind of, really kind of almost classical chest pain symptoms. And, um, you know, my father-in-law took, took her to the, to the doctors and she went to see the doctor. And she went through kind of a series of tests, starting with a treadmill test, which is pretty common. To walk on a treadmill, and uh, had some kind of vague symptoms, and you know, because she you, just when you go to a doctor and say, when I'm physically active and I'm doing stuff, it hurts my chest, hurts. That would be a classical chest pain symptom. So she had that, but then she went in the treadmill, and it was a little vague or ambiguous. They admitted her into the into the hospital. Uh, I mean, you know, not into the emergency department, but really an observation. And then they started to do a series of tests. Um, and they then did a nuclear test afterwards and that was negative. So they had some positive, some negative. And then I, I was out of town. I happened to come into town and I talked to the cardiologist. I said, so what are you going to do next? And um, he said, I'm, I'm going to take her into the into the catheterization lab. And I said, but, you know, basically, please don't You know, do a coronary CT first. Um, because you need to, you, you don't even have, you, you know, we need to get a picture of the coronary arteries and we can get that non-invasively. So I, I, you know, in discussion with a cardiologist and, uh, knowing my background, he did that. And, and the end of the day, this is, a, she didn't, she didn't, she had some disease in her coronary arteries. She didn't need a heart flow test, but it was that having the initial step with a coronary CT really ruled out. Uh, a risk of heart disease for her, and then they looked at other things, you know, and you know, modulated her blood pressure medication, et cetera. But it was, it was a whole series of tests that lasted, you know, about forty-eight hours, including hospital admission. Um, and in the end, it would have been they could have gotten the information actually quite early. Which now the good news that some institutions they're starting to do that early. They're starting to. Use CT as a test to visualize the coronary arteries in the emergency department, and to um, and it just it just if the patients most patients are going to be negative and it just clears it up right away, and then if they find disease then then uh, and they find disease in the coronary uh, CT scan then they often will send those patients to us for for further evaluation.
0: Thank you for sharing that about your your mother-in-law. The truth is that gender matters in, yeah. in heart disease. And and my audience is approximately 65% female. And so this is an important subject to women. So I I have to ask you, what's HeartFlow doing to raise the level of attention for women, for female medical providers, and generally increase awareness?
1: Yeah, well, I I think, you know, first of all, is that we're... um... I would say we're we're very active in in general issues of patient awareness. Um, we've done some studies in the U.S. and also in the U.K. to basically also just determine, like, what do people know about about uh, about heart disease? You know, do people, you know, women know, for instance, that that you know the heart disease is a leading cause of death in women as well as men? It's not a, it's not a male disease by far, but of course, women present differently with symptoms. Um, so we're often in this kind of educational mode where we're trying to First of all, query the general public about what they know and then then get that information out uh, to be able to sometimes dispel some of the myths uh, that are out there um, so we we've done some of those things, um, and I think the good news for us is our our test certainly doesn't discriminate um, we it's just as useful and as valuable for women as it is for men and one of the challenges with with heart disease in women is that the patients often present differently and and I think they're also in you know has been in some situations a a bias you know related to symptoms you know women presenting with symptoms i i have heard and others have heard that it's you know a, 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 that sometimes uh, uh, women's symptoms are dismissed you know uh, complaining or or something else which is is, is tragic uh, when that happens um, so uh i think there's you know we we i think have some you know excellent um female cardiologists that are are using our test and and I think talk a lot about uh about these matters but um uh, it's. I I think the awareness needs to increase uh, significantly um, about how how big of a problem this is for women
0: as well as mm-hmm. men. Mm-hmm. So let's dive into this a little bit and tell us specifically about which part, <laughs> which part of the traditional coronary heart disease diagnosis is heart flow yeah. eliminating. Let's get there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So when a, when a patient, again, they, if they present with symptoms, there will be a, often a variety of different things, and it depends in part on whether they're in the emergency department or they go to see their primary care doctor and maybe who will refer them to see a cardiologist. So there's some differences in that way. But often, you know, there's a, the, the questions of, of symptoms, you know, what are the symptoms, describing symptoms, family history is important, you know, to look at other markers, whether the patient's hypertensive or they have high cholesterol, do they have risk factors? Are they smokers, for example? Um, But again, once all of those variables are factored in, you still don't really know a lot about if somebody has life-threatening coronary artery disease or not based upon that. Um, You know, maybe if the person is really young and they have a certain type of symptom, then you, you, you could probably, you know, in most cases rule out life-threatening coronary disease. But, um, but it's quite difficult, you know, for the majority of patients that are presenting with symptoms. So then there's a whole series of other tests, often non-invasive tests, uh, treadmill, treadmill tests, um, sometimes uh, tress, uh, tests with uh, nuclear imaging um, to be able to visualize the blood flow in the muscle of the heart itself, um, uh, te- techniques based upon ultrasound to look at how the, the heart is contracting, how it's moving. Um, but one of the, with all of those tests, every single one of them, what you never get to see is the coronary arteries where the disease is. You don't visualize those non-invasively. So, and, and that's where the, where you would have the plaques that could, you know, ultimately uh, rupture and cause a heart attack. So. The best way to, to get that information non-invasively is with a coronary CT scan. So that's a fabulous test that has really evolved, you know, and has, has dramatically improved over the years. It's much less radiation dose now than before, um, and very, very remarkably high-quality images can be obtained of the arteries and disease in the arteries. The problem is is that when you see the disease about half the time it's not, it's not progressed to the level that it really needs for the patient to go in and get aggressive medical therapy, or aggressive therapy, like a stent or surgery. Most of the patients can be treated with medicine. You see a patient, they see disease, say, you know, um, you know Mrs. Jones, you need to go in and you need to, you need to you know, put you on, on statins to decrease your cholesterol. You need to modify your lifestyle, maybe stop smoking that's the majority of patients but there are patients where they're better off if you if you because the disease has progressed and is severe and is limiting the blood flow to the muscle of the heart you have to be more aggressive in therapy with maybe stenting or surgery so the question of how to identify those patients that should be treated with medicine stents or surgery is very difficult now, today, or before heart flow, it really could be made only in the catheterization lab by putting a pressure wire in. We do that non-invasively, and the result of that is that by far most patients that end up all after a heart flow test in the cath lab are patients who have significant disease. And if, you, if your cardiologist uses our test and says, hey, we can go right to medical therapy, then the evidence, the data shows that that's a safe decision, That you'll be okay with um, with uh, the deferral of an invasive uh, procedure. So that's that's the problem that we're solving, and it's the kind of one of the central problems that has to be, or questions that has to be answered once you see disease, heart disease, in a patient after a CT scan.
0: You mentioned. The visuals, the yeah. the precise visuals that that HeartFlow is yeah. uh, is generating. I, I've seen some of those images in my research of HeartFlow, yeah. and and the HeartFlow technology is is impressive. Yeah. So, the technology is one side, perhaps of the equation. The other side is are the physicians themselves, and yeah. I think one of the the interesting things that HeartFlow is doing is pairing the physicians with the technology in such a way that really brings about a very intended result. And maybe talk a little bit about how that works in practice and maybe address some of the potential, I suppose, social, ethical implications of of one side or the other not having the, the right tools
1: yeah yeah it 's a great it 's a great uh, question so when when we finish our analysis um for the patient, we provide back a three d model computer model of the patient 's corner of their coronary arteries and we uh, it 's color coded to identify those areas where there 's significant functionally significant disease areas of disease that are limiting the blood supply of the muscle of the heart and require a lot of attention. It's very, very easy to see that. Of course the physicians have to then take that data and interpret it in the context of other information that they have on the patient, other characteristics, and then they have to go forward and, and often make a recommendation as to as to how, you know, the course of action uh, afterwards. Um, but but the data we present, they can they can look it on their computer or their iPhone or their or their iPad, um, and which is is really exciting. And then also show it to the patient, which I think that level of patient engagement. To be able to go in and say this is your problem, and you know, here's the data. Here's the data from this test, and then to be able to say, based upon this, this is what you know I'm going to I'm going to do for you, or based upon this and other information. Um, so I think it brings about a you know level of awareness um, for the patient where they can kind of really really understand what's going on and and uh, perhaps understand they can get the best uh, best care. Now on the on the you know the, the, how the, how it works in practice. Uh, physicians send the CT data, and they upload it to our our uh, software, our, our technology. Um, so the data has to be transferred out of a hospital, and we have to make sure that that's done very securely, and that we always are respecting the patient privacy. so we we do things like separate the patient information or patient data from the from the images um so that the um, so that we can you know just further protect uh, that type of information. or if a doctor is in the United Kingdom, then the data stays on the patient. Uh, information stays in the United Kingdom and the images come to the across the pond as they say to the United States for for further analysis but but it's a it's a it's something that we take incredibly seriously because um, you know we are a healthcare company i mean we're we're uh, yes we're doing this with some very modern computing technology and, and the internet, but you know, first and foremost we're a healthcare company. And uh, we're trying to provide the best service and, and you know help our patients and protect and protect their data as well.
0: Where is the business going? Yeah. What's next for HeartFlow and you know you mentioned the web and tablets and apps. Yeah. Certainly that's all part of patient care today. How do yeah. we how do we make some improvements there?
1: Yeah. I think one of the things that I'm most excited about and, and it's something that I've been have been contemplating quite frankly for more than twenty years when I Started to think about how to merge imaging and in computers together and computer simulation is the is the one thing that we can do now with our technology that you cannot do with another test, um, and we we can for for example have a patient look at their coronary disease and give the physicians a, a a way they can ask and answer the what if questions. What if this patient with complex coronary disease was was uh, was treated in a certain way? How might we how might they improve? Um, and so this is the next step for us is to go from uh, really a diagnostic a test and technology, you know, that again is, is we, we believe and I think the data supports is, is really the best out there in terms of helping physicians diagnose coronary disease, but to take it a step further and give them a tool to plan. So that's, I think, is the biggest. You know, will be the one of the biggest directions that we go in. And this is our next generation product that's in review right now from the FDA uh, by the FDA um, in what we call the Heartful Planner. But where that goes from there is even beyond. To say if you have a patient with a certain level of disease, how can we start to think about different treatment strategies and actually predict what might happen in the future. What might happen to that patient if they you know have their their therapy doesn't change how might their disease progress in a year or two years or five years um, and how could we alter that the course of that patient so that's to me is kind of the is one of the big ideas behind behind heart flow that we're really starting to implement is the ability to be able to predict and plan. Um, so as we do that and we perfect those techniques in uh, in the care of the heart, go from diagnosis to really becoming an integral part of, of the care of any patient with heart disease um then there are many other things to do we we have a lot of uh, technology that would be very appropriate for looking at stroke uh, for example or patients who have uh, peripheral artery disease and uh, problems with blood flow to their legs so you know we feel that uh, you know that where there's blood flow, that we have something to offer, and and of course, uh, there's blood flow and every parts of our of our body. Um, so that's that's one part. The other part of it is is the artificial intelligence techniques that we're using, where we're really developing and employing very sophisticated techniques to get the computers to help us, you know, to help the doctors. Uh, care for their patients, and is in the area of art, of uh, artificial intelligence, where we, some, you know, and I often talk about augmented intelligence, where we combine the best of machine and, and human intelligence. So how do we bring that together to take the, you know, the, the diagnosis and care of patients to a whole different level?
0: Charlie Taylor, founder and CTO of HeartFlow, internationally recognized for your pioneering work in combining the computer simulation methods with medical imaging data. Just very impressive what you're doing there at HeartFlow. I know you're very busy. We appreciate your time. Thanks for being so generous with us, and thanks for all your work at HeartFlow.
1: Great. Thank you. It was a a real pleasure uh, talking to you, and I hope uh, uh, this is informative for uh, your listeners.
0: Thank you very much, Charlie. Check out our show notes for more information, details, and links directly to HeartFlow. My thanks to Charlie Taylor, sponsor, HeartFlow, and everyone else who helped put this important educational show together. And my thanks to you, our wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody.